U.S. interest rates and the U.S. dollar are higher this morning after the Fed warned inflation is still too strong and it may have to hike again. The yen fell through 146 yen to the dollar. Currency markets will be on high alert today for Bank of Japan intervention. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. Then in our bonus deep dive, we look through cyclical inflation to find out how structural inflation has risen since COVID. During the pandemic, central banks probably thought there were more structural elements there when there were cyclical elements there driving inflation back up. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ. Number one, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said US inflation was too high in his keenly awaited speech at Jackson Hole on Friday night. The US two-year bond yield rose to 5.07%. And the US dollar strengthened versus the yen to over 146. Now that's a key level the Bank of Japan has defended in the past with intervention. ANZ's head of G3 Economics, Brian Martin, says underlying inflation is the Fed's main problem. That's still more than double the target rate, and it's going to take time for that to fall. I think it means, therefore, that interest rates are staying at current levels in the United States, uh, restrictive levels, uh, for quite a period of time. But a key message uh, that Powell did relate to markets was that if growth stays persistently strong, and it's very strong at the moment, then they may have to raise interest rates again. Number two, ECB President Christine Lagarde also talked tough at Jackson Hole about inflation, and structural inflation in particular. She focused really on the various different shocks that have hit the economy in recent years, and in in Europe, that COVID, that was global, but also the war in the Ukraine and the huge challenge that has posed to European energy markets and in particular the German economy has been suffering from that, as we know. The main points that uh, Christine Lagarde uh, alluded to was that if global supply chains were to become less elastic, if there was to be less competition, uh, and that led to higher volatility in prices uh, with wages chasing prices, well, then interest rates will have to stay higher because the likelihood is that inflation will be higher. Number three. Speaking of the fallout from COVID, ANZ economist in Australia, Maddie Dunk, says ANZ's card spending data shows spending in state CBDs is still well below pre-COVID levels, although some capitals have been hit harder than others. We're seeing that smaller CBDs, so places like Canberra and Darwin, have experienced much greater falls in spending over the last year or so. So, spending in those areas is down more than 30%. Whereas if you compare that to somewhere like Sydney CBD, we're seeing that spending there is down only around 5%. And I think that partly reflects the fact that businesses are starting to encourage workers to come back into the office. And particularly in Sydney, we're seeing that there's a lot more activity in the CBDs at the moment as more people do come back in the office. Number four, China's property sector is in the doldrums and it consumes 37% of the steel produced in China. ANZ senior commodities strategist Daniel Hines takes a closer look. Steel demand is suffering and that's outside of, I suppose, you know, some positive signs in in broader sort of um, construction or certainly fixed asset investment um, in China. But, you know, it's a multiplier effect, which is which is also playing its part here, and and uh, that's filtering down into into other commodities. But certainly for steel, 
Number five. Looking ahead in Australia this week, there's plenty of news for interest rate and currency watchers to chew on. It's a pretty bumper week in Australia, actually. We, we get indications on the housing sector through building approvals and home lending. We've got retail spending, we've got CPI, we've got credit, and we've got the quarterly capital expenditure survey. I would expect in totality those are consistent with this kind of soft landing, but maybe some little bit of doubt about that to continue this testing period for the market where they're really trying to work out whether the bank's done enough or not. I think the RBA has hiked enough, and I think there'll be enough in the data to make them comfortable this week that they can stay on hold for for the next little while. Now, let's take a bonus deeper dive into the structural forces behind higher inflation, which is what central bankers were looking at at Jackson Hole. Here's Richard. I think there are some elements of the inflation pulse we've had the last 18 months which are one-off. Central banks kind of over-delivering, governments over-delivering through the pandemic to provide some insurance to the economy. In the end, it was the pulling back of policy and the timing of that that has ended up being most problematic in my view rather than the delivery of the policy. But that also shouldn't hide from the reality that it does look like a whole lot of things that are are slower moving have moved on and it looks like they're all pushing in the same direction, i.e. higher inflation, whereas a bunch of those same factors before the pandemic in that decade between the GFC and the pandemic were pushing towards lower inflation. Any particular drivers that maybe are are different? Well, people talk a lot about them now, and it's great to see central bankers on this story. Maybe a part of me wishes they'd been on this story a little bit earlier because it might have changed the way they conducted policy the last 18 or 24 months. But demographics is a big issue, and I'm not talking about China here where the population is shrinking. I think that's a different demographic problem. When your population is growing and so adding to demand, but you've got a a relative decline in the working age population versus the dependent wings, the young and the old, I think that's a bit of an inflationary combination. Of course, we have climate change, which even in and of itself is inflationary because we're undertaking this enormous infrastructure swap, changes in consumption patterns. And climate change, I think, and geopolitics, I think they're intersecting in supply chains, where geopolitics is making businesses look at supply chains and think about how resilient they are, but also when they're making climate commitments, they need to fully understand their corporate linkages all the way through their supply chain. And I think as they do that, they're probably finding maybe parts of their supply chain are not as clear as they thought. So they're cautious about making those climate and ESG related commitments. Those things are intersecting, I think, to also readjust supply chains. And that's a bit inflationary as well. It's hard to disentangle exactly how much from each, but I think they're all pushing in the same direction. How much of a risk is there that central banks mistake structural inflation for some cyclical inflation? Oh, that that challenge unambiguously is always there, Bernard. If we look at, you know, the Reserve Bank of Australia pre-pandemic probably thought things were cyclical when there was more structural elements there. During the pandemic, central banks probably thought there were more structural elements there when there were cyclical elements there driving inflation back up. So this is a constant tussle and intellectual challenge, I think, for any economist when we're thinking about inflation and, and monetary policy. What what I, what I think has changed is 18 months ago was not the time to worry too much about what was cyclical and what was structural. When interest rates were near zero and you were getting these enormous upside inflation surprises, it didn't really matter which was the main driver or, or what the combination was. 
policy just wasn't in the right place for either of those sets of drivers. Now, most economies have policy in the restrictive territory, shall we call it. Real interest rates in the US are positive. Real interest rates in Australia are just positive. That allows you some time to sit back and just try and gauge this and, and test and learn a little bit more. And it it does seem central banks are more focused on trying to get this um, analysis right and asking more pertinent questions rather than presuming it's all cyclical. What can governments or businesses do to try to, in the long run, you know, pull those structural forces back the other way towards lower or stable inflation? The ball is in the government's court around productivity and what they can do about that. I have my fingers crossed we see some more movement because this is a very global problem. The war for talent is not going to diminish, so keep working hard to try and keep your best people, keep investing in your people, um, keep treating your people as an investment and a resource and a valued resource. I would discourage businesses from thinking that they can go back to the labour market easily and get what they need. ANZ's Group Chief Economist Richard Yetzinger there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Monday, August the 28th. Catch you tomorrow with detail on Australia's retail sales in July. This podcast was recorded for publication on behalf of ANZ. All associated disclosures and disclaimers can be viewed using the link in your media player or the ANZ website through which you access this podcast. All care has been taken to report the views of ANZ Research in the creation of this podcast, but as an independent host, any differing interpretations are strictly mine and not ANZ's. Feel free to contact your ANZ point of contact with any questions.